gotta have gut hope. It's gotta get better. It's gonna get better. You've got this. This is the Gut Hope Podcast. Gotta have gut hope. Gut hope. Hope. Inspiration. And healing. It can happen. Hello and welcome back to the Gut Hope Podcast. My name is Steve Collings. I'm joined by my new friend, Elise. How are you doing today, Elise? I'm doing well, Steve. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. I met Elise on a Facebook group, and she was talking about how she and her daughter had been healed from some gut issues doing a what I think is a kind of innovative, unconventional method. And I just thought, oh, I've got to get this and put it on my podcast. So I reached out to her. She agreed to talk with us today. And I'm just super excited to go through a little bit of her and her daughter's history. And maybe this will give some ideas to other people of what they could try. So let's just get started. Um, Tell us a little bit, I think, Mostly, we're going to be talking about your daughter today and her experience with uh, her gut issues. So let's just start there. Like, tell us a little bit about your daughter's history, medical history, um, and we'll just go on from there. Okay. Um, she was a healthy baby. She's my second born of four. Um, she never really had a lot of health issues growing up. The main one that um, that seems relevant I guess is she did tend toward constipation through most of her childhood uh, to the point of having having had to seek treatment for it um, when she was probably early elementary school age uh, which in retrospect I think maybe might have been a signal to us but we didn't recognize it at the time you know something to pay attention to Um, sure Hey, let me ask you this because a lot of the listeners um, want to know if if your daughter experienced any heavy antibiotics or experienced that in her childhood. Do you remember anything like that happening? She wasn't a very sick kid overall. She did have a couple of ear infections, and the first of those was a double ear infection when she was a newborn. Uh-huh. So, you know, in retrospect, when you, when you mentioned that, that maybe, you know, maybe that set her up for some of the issues that she's had. Um, didn't, didn't really see the connection at the time, uh, but it was possible. It's possible. Sure. It's, I mean, it's a breastfed baby and. Yeah, that's important too. Yeah. That's, it's hard to say. I'm just, I'm trying to piece things together of, of what might be going on. But it sounds like she's a pretty healthy kid and until she got into her teenage years. How did you find out that she was having a problem? Yeah, she um, mentioned to us in July of 2015 um, that she was experiencing blood with her bowel movements. Um, and we didn't really, it didn't trigger any alarm in us because she tended toward constipation 
right her childhood so it was you know we figured maybe it was a fissure or even a hemorrhoid we didn't really um think that it was anything super significant um we tried to guide her as far as her diet and water intake to you know encourage less of a problem with um with eliminating <laughs> so, yeah with the constipation i didn't really think any more yeah. of it right and then we didn't really hear anything about it um, until in the fall of that year. She approached me again and said, "When are we going to see the doctor about about this issue?" And I uh-huh. said, um, "You know, I, I was ignorant of the fact that she'd still been having that issue. It's not something that we talked about a lot at 14 years old. She wasn't really interested in talking about her bathroom habits a lot. So, right um, when she brought it up again, I said." it's happening again and she said still (laughs) (laughs) it's still happening yeah okay yeah so what did you do with that uh, we scheduled appointment an appointment with her primary care physician and um, they gave her the little specimen jar to collect her you know to produce a specimen and when she did it was um it had a significant amount, at least, you know, to us, to our eye, it appeared to be a significant amount of blood and mucus, and which was alarming to us. We really didn't realize the extent of it. Wow. That's pretty shocking to see that, right? For sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And so what did you do from there? So they referred us to um, the surgeon's office for a colonoscopy. Uh-huh. And she had... She had that in mid-December, and after the procedure, they wheeled her in and into the recovery area, and the surgeon came in and said, she did really well, it's Crohn's, Um, which we have some friends, we have some family members and friends who have dealt with Crohn's, and so that was devastating to think that that was what she had to look forward to the rest of her life. You knew what the doctor was telling you by saying Crohn's, this wasn't a an unknown to you right wow okay so we went for a few days thinking that that was you know that was what we kind of the final diagnosis and then we got a copy of the pathologist's report after after it came back and um, the pathologist had amended the diagnosis to ulcerative colitis um, it's an unusual presentation. <laughs> She's got a couple of um, unique differences in how it presents for her. Um, you know, the the um, pathology report was really interesting to read um, in terms of it, it just gave us a lot of information about how how it was, you know, how it presented for her. Yeah, I think as we go through her story, we're going to come across like all these unique things, <laughs> right? That are, yeah. and you know, maybe somebody else is out there with all this unique situation too. But could you just briefly say why it was unique, how it presented? Yeah, um, the first, the first thing was um, ulcerative colitis tends to be restricted to the colon. Obviously, <laughs> yes. Intestine. Yes. Um, and by definition, and they had found inflammation that had was extending into you know just inside of the small intestine. Um, it turns out that that wasn't ulcerated. It was kind of 
inflammation from being close to the large intestine, close to the inflammation that was going on there. Okay. And the other thing is that characteristically, there's usually one area of inflammation with ulcerative colitis, um, with Crohn's that could occur in multiple areas. And she had it in multiple areas in her colon. There were two distinct areas of inflammation. So that, that made it a little different too. But ultimately, they did stick with the um, diagnosis of, of ulcerative colitis because it was all in her colon. All of the diseased tissue, so to speak, was in her colon. And, and she it was moderate to severe that she was diagnosed with because of the extent of the inflammation and the ulceration. Oh, wow. And she had some... Well, I was going to say she had some unique symptoms, but really she had the lack of symptoms that, that makes her unique. I mean, she was having blood and mucus, but you were telling me that she didn't really have the other typical yeah. symptoms that we hear with ulcerative colitis. Right. Blood and mucus were pretty much the where it started and ended. She didn't have um, the pain or the diarrhea or the cramping or any of, of the other issues that are really common. I think that's important because as a parent, you're kind of looking at your kid and when they are in a lot of pain or they're experiencing weight loss or fatigue, all these other symptoms, you're like really in a desperate mode. So maybe your reaction to this is a little bit different than other people because you're saying, well, there's blood there, but it, she's doing okay. Is is that how you felt or did you feel differently? Or I think at the time, I I had a sense that it could be um, you know it could be a real threat to her yeah quality of life and all of you know her ultimately her health overall health and and so I I kind of looked at it more for the potential because um, again we we'd had friends who had struggled so much with Crohn's and the you know that we knew we knew their struggles and anticipating that it could ever be that uh. way for her was, you know, immediately wanted to find the answers. And okay, great. So looking into the future, you, you had a good idea of what was coming and you're like, okay, let's get ready for this. Right. So what did you do after you had the colonoscopy? What did they, what were the next steps that they recommended for you or what did you do? So they placed her on prednisone right away um, and gave us a referral to a pediatric gastroenterologist. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, there was, a, of course, you know, a referral to a specialist takes time. So we had a couple of months to wait and learn and <laughs> anticipate. Um, our, the pediatric gastroenterologist was four hours away um, at Beaumont in Rochester Hills, Michigan, for so it was a four-hour drive from where we lived. Wow. Um, so when she finally got in, finally had her appointment with him, um, it was already clear by then that the prednisone was not working. And in fact, her um, it was making things worse, if anything. Um, wow. It was significantly worse. Well, that's really interesting. I've... I know this does happen. I've met one other person where prednisone didn't do anything. It's just so different than my son who that that's the only thing that did work. 
uh, we're just different people. That's amazing, right. though. So you're telling them, hey, prednisone doesn't work. What did they suggest you do? He basically just shrugged and said that she's just simply one of, unfortunately, one of those people for whom steroids don't work. And, um, you know, when we talked to him about how to go from there, where we wanted to go from there, you know, we went with the objective of wanting to address the acute flare that she was having and then finding dietary or other natural ways to maintain her health and her remission when we finally you know achieved it that was what we envisioned uh, and he immediately made it clear he had no other expectation than her being on pharmaceuticals for the rest of her life no so let me just kind of see so you, you she went in for the colonoscopy in december january february you had a lot of time to research this you get in there in march and say this is what i'm expecting and he's like no you can expect to be on medicine for the rest of your life. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So how did you swallow that pill? No pun intended. <laughs> um, we, I guess our feeling was what are, what's going to change about our approach. You know, she needs to have, at that point, we felt like she needed to have the pharmaceutical approach uh-huh. to address you know, and then then we could argue about it and debate where to go from there once she was, you know, once that was taken care of. So we kind of left it alone at that point. Uh, as far as he was concerned, we didn't argue with him about it, but um, we sure. continued digging, you know. And so what did the doctor prescribe then? Um, she was put on mesalamine, mm-hmm. which is an anti-inflammatory um, that targets the targets the lower GI tract um, and it's it's kind of an interesting drug if you deal if you kind of dig into how it works it's it's unique in how it how it uh, changes the sort of environment of your lower intestine and tries you know how it addresses that inflammation it's interesting to read about but it didn't work for her <laughs> oh i was just like um, waiting for this and so that worked no that didn't work okay <laughs> no um we tried um well how long did you try that how long did you try miss about about two years she was on it and oh and it never worked in all that time no oh my goodness it might have made things it, it might have made things marginally better. Like, there was a time in between her diagnosis and, like, the beginning of her treatment, or, you know, in the, I guess, maybe in the process of the diagnosis, um, where her symptoms were, um, like, she would pass mucus, and it was, you know, difficult as a teenager to uh-huh. be passing mucus at random times you know not necessarily just in the bathroom but just you know to have that happening was difficult and embarrassing and I, I think once she was on the mesalamine there was probably I, I don't remember that being as much of a problem okay but she still had blood still had mucus with you know when she would have a, a bowel movement so you're doing mesalamine but I'm guessing you're trying your own little thing on the side <laughs> 
Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so what yeah. kind of stuff did you try? Um, she probably six months into the journey, we started looking really seriously at dietary approaches. Uh huh. Um, and we came across a specific carbohydrate diet, uh, which was it's formulated by um, a, a mom who uh, was a doctor and trying to find a way to to heal her son. And, um, so we tried that uh, for a, a couple of months. We didn't really see a lot of improvement so uh, we switched to the autoimmune paleo protocol or AIP for those in the know I guess yeah um, she was you know just I guess the theory was if the specific carbohydrate diet wasn't restrictive enough maybe the AIP diet would be restrictive enough to kind of get her on the you know get things leveled out yes so we stuck with that for a while. Um, the autoimmune paleo protocol is really restrictive. No dairy, no eggs, no grains or nuts or seeds or legumes, no nightshades. It's really, <laughs> there's a lot. It's very difficult. It's definitely, uh, yeah. And we stuck with it for close to a year. Um, it's worth it if it's helping you, though. And yeah. was she seeing the benefit of it or not? Not really. Not really. And and when we would see what we thought was symptomatic improvement, then she would get her labs done, and the labs were still not great. So um, okay. as time went on, that it got to be where it didn't seem like the the cost benefit analysis wasn't really <laughs> okay in her favor. Um, but we, we incorporated turmeric and ginger and other anti-inflammatory, gut-friendly ingredients and supplements and, and that kind of thing. Um, we did try a lot of the recommended probiotics like VSL and, um, and that kind of thing. And all of the probiotics seemed to exacerbate her symptoms. And uh, we tried the cabbage juice. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it sounds like you're trying everything under the sun, but really i i know what you've been through and this is over a couple year period right like mm -hmm. you're just trying different things what will happen with this what will happen with this and right. still not really finding a result i know that feeling too um so what happened after that what's your what is your doctor saying or what what are you thinking where do you go from here yeah um we were a little more than two two years post-diagnosis and we had a um, an appointment with the gastroenterologist, and he asked how she was doing. And we said, "Well, symptomatically, she's doing okay. Um, no worse than normal. Maybe modestly better than at other times. She was obviously still having symptoms, but nothing that really had a heavy impact on her life. Mm -hmm. You know, on her quality of life." Um, so his response was that her lab work was telling a different story. Um, her inflammatory markers, her C-reactive protein, and her uh, fecal calprotectin were really elevated. Okay. Um, still. And so he basically gave us an ultimatum. Uh, he wanted to proceed with the biologic. We'd been putting it off for, you know, he was, he'd been pushing for it for a good solid year at that point. Mm -hmm. And we had been, you know, putting it off. Um, in 
you know, pushing it off. Sure. Finally said, we need to get this under control. Um, so he, you know, he I obviously was still hesitant. He said, what are your concerns? Is it the risk of lymphoma? And I said, well, yeah, that's one of my concerns. And he said, you realize there's also a risk of lymphoma due to long-term inflammation. And I said, well, I don't know how to compare and assess those risks against each other. You know, I, I, uh, if it had been, like I say, if it had been a quality of life issue, if she had been suffering a lot, if it had impacted her day-to-day living in a, you know, in a, in a great way, then it would have been a lot easier, I think, to make that calculation. Um, but it, it just seemed to me like it was trading one risk for another and, and with marginal benefits, you know, so. That is a, so. that's such a difficult decision to make. And your daughter at this time, I'm thinking, must be around 16. Is that right? About that. And were you trying to make decisions for her or is this something where she's, she's, I mean, she's 16. She's, can she yeah. be involved and that's what she wants to do or? Yeah, she was definitely involved. Oh, that's great. She, at that point, was, um, you know, I tried to discourage her from doing too deep of digging because you hear a lot of really daunting things as you (laughs) you research it. And I really just wanted to take that burden on myself at that point and not not have her worrying about, am I going to lose my colon or, you know, that kind of thing. But ultimately... She was 16. She knew how to get the information, and uh, and she was really involved in, you know, in the discussions. About That's great. So you left this meeting, I imagine, feeling discouraged and confused. Very much so. Yeah, he had the lab work drawn up to um, make sure that her system could handle the biologics. You know, did all the preliminary lab work. Uh huh. And and we left left the hospital feeling really defeated (laughs) tell us about what happened there so we started our four-hour trip back home and um stopped at a gas station to heat up her meals because of course following these elimination diets we always had to pack ahead and have her snacks and her meals ahead of time Um, so we stopped at a gas station and i went to heat up her food and I just thought, what is this for, you know? It is just so much deprivation for her, you know, to not be able to go to McDonald's like a normal kid or, right. you know. Yeah, I was thinking, like, even in the gas station, what could you buy in there that would comply with the AIP diet? Yeah, not a thing. Nothing. So you're packing your own, packing your old lunch to drive home, and you're stopping at a gas station to heat up your AIP meal. Right. And having an epiphany there that this isn't doing any good. Why are we bending ourselves so much to comply with this? And uh, I, I, I think that realization's amazing. I don't know what you do with it. What did you do? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I had a heart-to-heart with God the next day. <laughs> I just, we, uh, I, I was headed to work, I think, and I just said, I said, you have to do something. I don't think I can make this decision to put her on biologics. 
I just had this, I don't know, I had this really deep anxiety and like the sense of foreboding about it almost that, you know, I just felt like if something is going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong for us, you know? Yes. And uh, I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't see how the ultimate benefit outweighed the risk. And knowing that all the other things that we had tried weren't working and that we had no guarantee of that working, it just, you know, again, why, why it's, why would we do that if it wasn't going to work? And I don't know, it, it was a really difficult decision. And I just told God, I don't think I can do this. And I need you to intervene because I don't want Child Protective Services called because we're not doing, you know, not following the doctor-recommended treatment, pro, you know, protocol. And I said, you just have to do something. <laughs> and uh, so that night, my in-laws came up to visit, and they took our family out to dinner. And uh, my daughter said, what can I have? And I said, have whatever you want. This isn't working, you know. So just... Yeah. whatever you want so she did she had nachos and, <laughs> <laughs> and about two days later um, about three days after her appointment having changed absolutely nothing about her treatment um, she experienced complete symptomatic remission bam she just she told me she had had no symptoms that day and the next day she still had no symptoms. Wow. And just continued that way for, um, so about two weeks later, her doctor called. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) You can't just go over that and move on. (laughs) Like, you must have thought about this and said, what do we do different after trying all this time? Like, well, what's magic? What's going on? And And what did you come up with? Um, it was God or nachos. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, God or nachos. Yeah. I, I have no other explanation. It's a it's just happened. Thing as far as I can, I'm concerned. Well, we know that people go into remission at, at times, but usually it's brought about by a lot of effort. You know, it, it, diet or supplements or even medication. It's very unusual that she just dropped out of of having these symptoms unexpectedly, right? I, I haven't heard of anyone doing that. I had neither. Okay. <laughs> Maybe somebody will reach out and tell me, yep, same thing happens to me all the time. I don't know, but I've never heard that story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you were saying you went back to the doctor. I'm sorry for laughing, but I'm, like, really excited about this. So I just... <laughs> I was like, how does this happen? Okay. Uh, we were excited, too. We were even more excited a few weeks later when, uh, well, her doctor called um, mm-hmm. about, about two weeks after that, and he wanted to do another colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Um, I think he went, wanted to kind of revisit the possibility of Crohn's. Uh-huh. Um, but we declined because she was not having any symptoms, and we, we advised him that she was not having any symptoms, and uh, we asked him to order a, re- a repeat of her fecal calprotectin Uh Uh, and that came back in the 30s and for those who have have ulcerative colitis 
most of most of us probably know that normal is 50 and under yeah so she was in clinical remission confirmed by lab work so hmm. so we cried a lot and we celebrated with donuts because <laughs> that's her her favorite guilty pleasure and she oh. had that in a year oh wow i would have went and ate nachos <laughs> by the way Nachos are like the worst thing in the world for someone <laughs> to eat. I can't believe she picked that off the menu, but no judgment here, but okay. <laughs> At that point, nothing else was working, and I was like, you know, go crazy. <laughs> so how long was she feeling good then? I, um, how long did she stay in this state, remission? Um, she stayed in remission for a little over two years. It was about two years and two months. Um, during the first few months of remission, she tapered off of the mesalamine, and that was her decision, um, ultimately, because she just didn't see that there had been any benefit over the previous two years, so why continue doing it? Um, so she'd been taking mesalamine for years and yes. without any effect, so that isn't the reason why things magically tipped <laughs> right. either, right? No, and it was no. interesting because... Um, that doesn't make sense. Her doctor had prescribed to her when... Before we left, he gave us a prescription for a, a, the enema version of mesalamine and said, this is just a stopgap to make sure things don't get worse between now and the next time I see you. This will not fix it. Okay. So um, we we'd never used it. We never used that prescription She at all. She went into remission before... Wow. Before we even had a chance to include that in the... Well, you're lucky. I had to do that with my son. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Count your blessings. You never yeah. had to do that. <laughs> uh, what else did you try then? So she's tapered off mesalamine. She's doing good. Were you trying to support her gut in any other way, or were you just saying, okay, let's? Yeah. you're back to normal, let's rock and roll? <laughs> What did you, right. I don't know, what did you do? Well, she had, um, before she had gone into remission, I had ordered an herbal supplement um, that I had read about, read some really good reviews and, from people who had used it, um, particularly people with ulcer, ulcerative colitis. Um, and the supplement was called Isidus Cooling. Mm -hmm. It was a combination of, of two herbal supplements. It's a Chinese medicine um, you know, traditional Chinese medicine supplement. Is that something they still sell now? It is. Um, How do you spell it, just in case anyone wants to look at it? Do you know? Isidus is I-S-A-T-I-S. -I -I oh, okay. Isidus cooling. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, so Isidus, as an herb, it's it's a type of indigo plant. It's also known as woad or donkwai. Mm -hmm. um, and the other herb that was in this formula is called Smilax, which most of us probably know as sarsaparilla. Okay. Um, and it, we ended up eventually ordering those things individually because um, as time went on, the reviews... Um, there, there started to be a lot of reviews saying, you know, something's changed about this formula. It's not working anymore. And uh, so hmm. we ended up ordering the individual um, herbs. But it, 
But you're doing all of this prophylactically. You're not. Yeah. There's nothing to react to. You're just trying to like maybe I've heard this will strengthen her gut, and so let's let's put this in you. And right. See if it'll at that just... point, we ordered it, and we thought anything that can, you know, any kind of kicker. To I'm with you. Stick. You paid good money for it. You better take this. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, how long? How long was she doing good after all of this happened? Um, what she kind was of in remission for? Um, she went into remission in March, February, February maybe. Yeah. Of of the of that year, and then she stayed in remission for two plus years into April of twenty nineteen. Wow. Okay. And she was a senior in high school and dealing with all of the stresses of the spring of your senior year and <laughs> she, she flared again um, and I got a call at work that to come pick her up and, and she just kind of just kind of dissolved into my arms when oh. we got to school because you know we I, you dare to hope that it's when it's gone you dare to hope it's not coming back <laughs> you know yeah two, two years to hope that you know, to start to believe it wasn't coming back, and then, and then it came back. So. Well, this is this is something that's close to my heart. If you've listened to my podcast, you know my son has really only been healed for seven or eight months now, I guess. And you know, I'm out telling people that healing's possible, and I wonder, well, what will happen maybe in two years? Just like with your daughter, you know what. And, and I've heard a lot of stories where people go long periods of time without experiencing any relief. Um, it must have been very hard to get that news. Yeah, she definitely took it hard. I took it hard, <laughs> too. You know, you always hope for the best. So what did you... What did you how do you... I mean, having the success, it's not like you could repeat your nacho experience. I guess you could have prayed <laughs> again. Did you try right. praying again? I, I did. <laughs> okay. And I did. <laughs> did you uh, did you get another answer? Or? I, I eventually, I think. Um, uh, I, I guess I would say eventually we did, but it was in a different way. There wasn't there wasn't another spontaneous remission. But. Love it. Good uh, good response. And w- but, what was the answer? How did you go about? Well, helping her yeah, it was kind of interesting because we we didn't go back to the doctor we we knew enough at that point to know what his default position was going to be so, sure yep um, we just kind of resumed doing everything we previously done that we had found to be beneficial in any way and nothing really produced any improvement to speak of so um, but incidentally in may of that year i developed a dental abscess and was prescribed cipro um, while waiting for my tooth extraction, and it absolutely destroyed my guts. Um, and I had extreme reflux. I was having urgency after meals uh, and recurrent diarrhea. So we were both de- dealing with those issues for about the next six months. Um, but at, in the meantime, I resume, I went back to researching um, what had worked for other people, um, and I discovered just really stumbled across a Facebook page that was promoting the use of dairy kefir to um, 
to cure ulcerative colitis was how it was billed, and I, you know, had a little skepticism about that naturally, but I thought, well, what do I have to lose? So um, there were a lot of compelling testimonials and things like that on the page, and... Uh, well, let me pause you for just a second. I'm sure some people listening have never heard of kefir. I have just a very basic knowledge of it before you and I talked. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what kefir is a little bit sure. and how it's made or what you do or where it comes from? Just give us yeah. a little understanding of it. Kefir, by the way, K-E-F-I-R. Is that right? Correct. Okay, so if you wanted to Google that, look, look this up. Oh, you know what we forgot to do? We forgot to say neither of us are doctors. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a story of what happened, and you've got to go make your own decisions, and we're not responsible for those. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Tell us about Kiefer a little bit. So I may even be mispronouncing it. I, I think maybe <laughs> in the original European, it's probably kefir or something like sure. that. Sure, sure. <laughs> it's a... It's a fermented dairy drink. It's very similar to yogurt. Um, in it, the, it originates in specific regions of Europe, and um, there's it's produced using uh, like a symbiotic combination of yeast and bacteria. Um, and the traditional version of this is um, traditionally those microbes um, exist in a sort of gelatinous colony. And, and that's known as grains. They, they call that the grains. Um, and you introduce the grains into the milk and you allow them to ferment in the milk and, and produce kefir. And then you scoop them out and you can reuse them indefinitely. Um, and that's the most probably common, well-known way to produce kefir. Alternately, you can buy the same organisms um, in a freeze-dried powdered version and then you just stir them into the milk and they reactivate. Um, both of those options are really easy to find online. Uh, you can buy them on Amazon. Uh, yeah. We used, we used the par powdered starter. Um, and the best one that I know of, the best powdered starter that I know of that's currently available uh, is called Natural Selections brand. Um, yeah. Not a rep I went, that brand. I went and looked at this after you told me about it. I went out on Amazon. It's cheap. It's like 12 bucks yeah. for this. And and does that just make one drink or you make one drink and that's your starter, sort of like sourdough bread, and you just take that even with this powder, or does that only work with the grains, or how does that work? It's pretty cool, actually. When you make, uh, when you make it, so the basic steps are pretty simple um you you order they come in these little packets of um just little envelopes okay and um, you combine one little envelope of the freeze-dried kefir culture uh -huh. in uh, in with about a liter of full whole fat milk in a plastic or glass container okay and then and then you leave it at room temperature to ferment um and depending on the starter that you use, um, the one that we started with isn't actually available anymore. Natural Selections goes a little bit quicker. Um, it will take between 24 to 48 hours to um, to ferment the first time. And then you'll know when the kefir's done, when the texture of the milk kind of thickens and the scent 
resembles something kind of between yogurt and sour cream. Okay. You, you might see some curdling and some separation, but the scent will distinctly be yogurty, not not spoiled. It won't smell like spoiled milk. Okay. And then from the finished kefir, you can reserve a scoop of it um, and use that to seed your next batch. Really? <clears throat> Just like a spoonful of it, drop it in your next liter and you're good to go? Let right. it do it all over again? Right. A few wow. Would, would be enough to seed another liter. Um, okay. And then I've done a, like a half a cup or so in a full jug of milk and um, fermented a whole, you know, a whole gallon at a time. And so after, I'm sorry, but I just imagine milk sitting out on a counter for like 48 hours right. and going, and it curdling and everything and go, okay, now drink this. That's, yeah. I'm sorry, that just sounds disgusting, but <laughs> people do it apparently. Right. And that's how yogurt's made and cheese, you know, we, we eat a lot of fermented oh. things when you think about it. I'll never eat yogurt and cheese again. <laughs> if that's how it's made <laughs> so do you put it in the fridge do you afterwards like it's yeah. Im i imagine cold is better i don't know yeah, I would oh. say cold is probably better okay um, but again, it, you know the flavors are so similar to yogurt that it, it's not a it's not an unpleasant flavor if if you're a person who consumes yogurt you know so, so you you just drink that used to. drink it straight like that or um so i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of you you keep no, telling okay. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just imagining that milk sitting on the counter go some ahead people do you know I, I never understood plain yogurt but some people love that so you know if you do then okay then more power to you but um it's like a thin it would be like a thin yogurt yeah is that it's not like watery or anything right it's kind yeah. of yeah, not really watery. It's huh. okay. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to kind of smoothie. It it kind of has the consistency of a smoothie even before you mix in other things. It's just okay. What do you mix into it then? What can you do to make that taste good? <laughs> um, the recommendation is to, and what we did was, um, you combine the finished kefir with semi-ripe banana. Um, it's important that the banana not be super ripe, not be overripe. Um, it should have a little bit of green on the ends. Okay. Uh, help you to have more of the prebiotic fiber and the resistant starches that um, that the benef that the beneficial bacteria are going to feed on. Okay. In your gut, so um, and that reduces the amount of sugar because bananas, you know, ripe bananas do have quite a bit of sugar in them, but on the on the flip side of that, it does tend to make it pretty tart. So, <laughs> we, so we had to... Uh, the banana is part of the recipe. It's not just for flavor. You, you got to have the right. banana in there. Right. You want to yeah. have the... And some people who don't care for banana, they either add in inulin or there's a various things that people... Okay. There's... Gum is one thing that people add in if they don't really care for banana. Okay. The, we ended up having to kind of sweeten it up a little bit just to make it palatable because it was hard enough to get my daughter to drink it. Look, yeah. You know, seeing how it looked on the counter. <laughs> she threw, threw a little... Uh, we used a little bit of um, raw local honey. Oh, good. Just to kind of sweeten it up. 
I like that. I'm a beekeeper. I don't know if I told you that. Oh, no. That's yeah. Excellent. Raw local honey. Now you're talking my language. That's right. <laughs> I don't know about this kefir, though. Okay. <laughs> so blend this all up in a blender, or is there something yeah. else you throw in there, or is that it? Um, that's pretty much that's pretty much it um are you again, not people are you not supposed to put anything else to make it taste good like some strawberries some blueberries would that be bad or no it, it, it would be fine to do oh that. okay we definitely did we use blueberries all right and cinnamon and things like okay that. So all right we tried a few different recipes we even tried peanut butter at one point awesome okay yeah <laughs> yeah so as long as you get the good stuff in there all right. You didn't know what was going to happen with this. You just saw this and thought you'd give it a try. And what happened? What was the result? Um, so my daughter and I started, you know, consuming about a cup at a time and trying to work our way up. Um, she was probably up to a cup and a half a day, and I was probably up to two and a half cups, you know, two cups. Okay. Um, and then about three days into beginning this protocol, we... Um, we were at a gathering and my daughter went to the restroom and she came back and she had tears in her eyes and she looked at me and she said i have no symptoms none wow and then i was you know thinking about it and i said i don't either <laughs> wow dealing with with gut issues you know i had had my my gut whole gut imbalance since the Cipro six months before almost and she had been dealing with her ulcerative colitis relapse for all of that and then some and uh, all of a sudden we both had no symptoms. Wow that's amazing. Is that kind of what you're seeing on I haven't ever looked at this other Facebook group, but is that the result that people get from this? Is that typical, or is again, is this just a very unique thing with your daughter? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think you know, and we've we've talked about this a little bit. Everybody is so different, and I think that the triggers right. are different, and the things that affect it are different. And definitely, everybody does not respond to this um, for sure. But it is interesting. I've I've noted on a few different forums where people have talked about using this kind of protocol. Mm -hmm. that three days seems to be a really common hmm. turnaround time if it works. That that you see you see improvement within about three days. Wow, this seems like a really reasonable, inexpensive approach that somebody could start off with and go, you know it's only going to take a few days of your time maybe if you try it for a week and no results you might just be well this isn't for me like in a yeah. short period of time how long did you stick with it and keep you know not knowing what the results were obviously you were feeling better after three days did you just stop or did you go six months or you, we what? kept going really consistently for uh a few weeks okay and then, and then kind of life got busy and we were feeling good so we tapered off of it um we just kind of quit with with uh with the powdered um kefir formula there's not uh you know this culture that you have to keep alive in the same way as you know with the so when you're when you quit using it when you quit producing it uh-huh be done <laughs> you okay. Drink the last of it, and then you're done. Okay. Um, 
with a it just to be clear to people when they're out looking for something they want to try this um there's to be clear there's two different options that i saw grain and powder mm -hmm. and you're saying powder is probably the most recommended way to go um powdered was what was recommended on this facebook page okay um, that i followed and the rationale for that was that you have these microbes and they're basically in suspension and and of course they reproduce in into the kefir when when they're um when it's fermenting but when it's when you mix in the powder then it's all incorporated into the drink itself you know into the kefir so you're consuming more of the microbes that way okay uh, that that was the rationale that was given uh, interesting for that so with with the uh, grains you're scooping out the sort of mother cultures right and re reusing them instead of consuming them okay so that's kind of the difference behind them all right um, and we know what worked for you was the powder so that so i know that a lot of people are gonna go oh that's a great idea but i really can't handle dairy i'm i'm off of dairy right so and what do they say how, how do you deal with that and definitely there are a lot of um of dietary protocols that are geared toward our ulcerative colitis that exclude dairy right um, I guess you just have to use your best judgment on that. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, we avoided dairy for a long time when we were doing the elimination diets ourselves. But um, if it's particularly an issue with lactose, people who are lactose intolerant mm -hmm. tend tend to be able to tolerate um, the kefir okay because the um, microbes consume the lactose during fermentation. That's part of the process of what this kefir does in the milk while it's sitting there on your counter is yeah. uh, consuming the lactose so that, right. wow, that's interesting. Yeah. In the same way that a lot of people who are, you know, somewhat lactose intolerant can still tolerate, like, um, Greek yogurt. Uh-huh. Kind of okay. All right. Wow. So this happened. This was, I think, your daughter's senior year, right? Right. And she would have been graduated by then, um, by the time remission happened again. She was, it was the fall after graduation. Oh, oh, we got to include this part of the story here. <laughs> she told me about your aunt's friend that tried oh, yeah. this. You've got to include this. <laughs> <laughs> um, my... My mom had talked to my aunt. My aunt had a friend who was an elderly woman who um, was having persistent gastrointestinal issues, diarrhea, urgency. Um, and my mom mentioned my daughter's success with, <clears throat> with the kefir. And um, my aunt was open to offering this to her friend. So... I gave her a portion of kefir to start her own um, batch, and mm -hmm. she used almond milk, <laughs> which um, isn't you know there are there are different um, there are different formulations of kefir out there. If you're a person who can't have dairy, um, you can actually get it for 
like coconut milk. I don't know that there's one for almond milk because there's really no sugars for it to consume in the, in the almond milk. I, I don't know. Nor is there any lactose in there. So for, for those listeners who aren't aware of this, <laughs> there's no milk in almond milk. <laughs> right, exactly. So. Um, it's... And like I say, I mean, there's even such a thing as water kefir that you use sugar to feed the uh-huh. to feed the uh, microbes, but we didn't have any success with water kefir. Um, so I, I don't know that I would, I'm definitely not in a position to promote anything um, other than what, what worked uh, for us. And sure, dairy, other than what? Dairy kefir. Is that, now I have to ask you, I've seen kefir in the dairy section of the store you know, a quart of it or whatever. Right. Could you just pick that up and use that, or is there a difference doing what you're saying with the powder? I don't have any experience with that to speak of. Okay. Um, I, from what others have said who have, you know, who, who've been involved in, you know, who've used it, who've used um, this protocol, mm-hmm. um, that there tends to be more additives in what you get in the store. Obviously, you wouldn't want to get the strawberry or the blueberry or the vanilla versions that have sugar in them, added sugar, because um, sugar is inflammatory, and you know you don't want to you don't want to overdo it on that, and yeah. you don't you don't want it as a you know you're definitely not consuming it for the flavor when right. you're trying to heal your gut. So. It could. It could actually exacerbate the situation, right? You would, yeah. you would really want to pay attention to how you're feeling afterwards. It, how do you feel just like immediately after you take it? Do you feel like something's happening or is it just like eating any other food? I didn't have any, any stomach upset with it. Good. Um, my daughter didn't have any stomach upset huh. with it. It was, uh, um, it does tend and it might be the banana in it but it does tend to make things firmer so if you have a an issue with diarrhea in hmm. particular like a lot of people with ulcerative colitis struggle with she didn't struggle with that ever obviously so that's um but we found that it definitely um has the effect of making uh, making bowel movements firmer and Good. Um, and that kind of thing so that's a Okay. So in your daughter's case, she's she's had constipation since childhood. Is that still an issue for her or, or not? Um, from time to time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. From time to time. And you just treat that with normal. Yeah. Processes. <laughs> you, you tell her to drink more water. Okay. More fiber, all that kind of all, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Right. So how are you two both doing now? This this was what about two and a half years ago, right? Yeah. So. Um, she, we're actually in the in the process of some um, major life changes. We're getting ready to move and stuff. So stress has crept back into the scenario again, and she actually has had um, a little bit of return of symptoms over the last few weeks. Um, so we're anticipating um, trying that, trying the kefir again, and you haven't even be. you haven't started that yet, though. You're just <laughs> you're just haven't made gearing up for it. <laughs> yeah, we have the kefir made. Oh, we, 
Bananas have a really stunningly short shelf life, especially when you're trying to get them eat in that sweet spot of having them be semi-ripe. Yeah. So, um, it seems like, and, and we are so in and out of the house. You know, she's working, um, working regularly. I'm working. She's 21 now, right? Yeah. 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 So trying to trying to make sure that we get that in is not before the bananas turn overripe. I, I have a I have a, a stockpile for banana bread right now. Um, it's just, it, hasn't, it hasn't quite happened yet. But. How long does the kefir sit in the fridge and is good for before it turns into <laughs> cheese? Um, this is really interesting. I okay. had kefir in the refrigerator for months without it growing mold, without it changing Whoa. scent. Like it, it, it has amazing longevity. Um, wow. I, I guess I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I wouldn't hmm. recommend keeping it for months and then, uh, and then. But that's what you've seen, right? It, okay. I've, I have seen it. I have seen it last that long. I have found the forgotten picture of Kiefer at the back of the fridge. After <laughs> it could um, be the honey. You know, honey's <laughs> antimicrobial. So. <laughs> It could be. Actually, once we mix stuff in, I wouldn't recommend keeping it more than a... When we've we've blended in the bananas before um, and, and had it for up to, like, maybe three days. Oh. And, you know, the bananas start to get darker and that kind of thing. Okay. It's probably still fine to consume, but it isn't really appetizing after that length of time. But um, plain kefir, un, you know, uncombined with other things lasts a really long time um, in my That's experience. interesting. So I know someone's like wants to do this at home. I think we missed this piece of how much kefir you mix with a banana, with how much honey. Somebody's going to want the specifics. Do you have a general idea or do you just like I fill my blender three quarters full <laughs> or how did you do it? So for the whole liter, you would blend in about two bananas. So if you're having a little oh. bit of time, okay. figure, about, figure about half a banana per cup of kefir. I'm guessing that information's out there on the internet, and if someone's serious about it, they should really take the time to dig into it and understand it, not just do this based off our podcast information, I hope. Right? right. Okay. Yeah, and, there, and there are a thousand different, you know, recommendations. I'm sure. How to, how to do it, so. But the basic principle and what you've done, I think is important and encouraging for a lot of people. And it's, it's, I appreciate you being honest that your daughter's gone a two and a half years and now she's going into another flare. It doesn't seem like you're alarmed about it though. It seems like you've, you know what you're going to do to handle this, this time. Yeah. And she and I had talked about it. Um, and, and she's just, her comment was that she views this in the same way as she would view cold sores and that kind of thing. Wow. Which is, um, it, it's interesting because there, there are theories out there about, about what might be behind colitis that include, um, you know, a viral infection or whatever. Yeah. Having been the thing that kicked it off. There's so sure. many theories out there. Yeah. And, um, and we had talked about this a little bit the, the idea that maybe this is not really 
autoimmune, or at least that it's not autoimmune for everybody who gets this diagnosis. Right. Because really the things that uh, that we did for her uh, that bolstered her immune system, that, that enhanced her immune system, gave her, you know, those those things have been advantageous, whereas the things like... Um, Prednisone, mesalamine, they're supposed to suppress your immune. They're actually were detrimental to her. Right. At least prednisone, and then the mesalamine was maybe did something, maybe didn't. Right? Yeah. Right. Wow. That's a yeah. She's just a very unique case, and I, what I love about this is that. With all of us, we're all so different, and we can present to the doctors possibly with what looks like to them ulcerative colitis, and that may be the label they want to put on it, but it really could be a whole rainbow of things going on, right. uh, you know, a spectrum of stuff that's happening, and I love that you found a solution that worked with you and your daughter, and I just hope it gives some inspiration and healing to other people that might be listening i think i really like the idea and it's low cost it's easy to get your hands on it's easy to do it's a short amount of time to to determine whether you're getting results or not so i think it's a really fun (laughs) fun's the wrong word (laughs) simple i simple starting point like like, if you're having a problem, here's a simple starting point. See if this does anything, right? And then let's escalate if we have to. And for those homeschool parents out there, this is totally a great science. <laughs> and I, I mean, there's just <laughs> all kinds of benefits to that. Um, if you if you happen to use the grain version of, of kefir, uh, it's kind of like having a really boring pet. <laughs> you, have to, you have to feed it and keep it alive. And, yeah. So. Watch it grow. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think I'm going to try this just to, for the experiment of watching that happen and tasting it <laughs> so that I could give someone honest feedback of what I thought of it. You know, why not? I've, you got me intrigued. The The powder's like 10 bucks. I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> I'm ordering some on Amazon when we get off here. Hey, uh, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your daughter being willing to let us share her story. That's so kind of her. Make sure you thank her. And I just wonder if you have anything else you'd like to share or um, with the listeners that we haven't covered yet. Uh, I can't think of anything specific. I just, okay. I think, you know, you're. I think we're almost, our kids are at an advantage that if, if it had been me that was affected, I think I probably would have been less motivated to be to dig deep and, and that kind of thing. So I think that us that we hmm. parents who are fighting for our kids, you know that's we definitely have something to contribute to this because we're so motivated to So if, if you haven't found the solution yet, just keep looking, you know Boy. That's a great thought because we do advocate for our children so much better than we advocate for ourselves sometimes. <laughs> and um, I appreciate you bringing that up and reminding us all that we need to do that and and take care of ourselves and take care of our the ones we love. So I really appreciate that. 
Um, I have one question that I always ask. You know it's coming. Do you have gut hope? Absolutely. Good answer. Hey, I look forward to hearing uh, how your daughter does, and I hope she can come back into remission again, and I hope you just have success. Please reach out and let us know how that all goes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I appreciate all of the information that you're sharing. It's it's a, a treasure trove of information. <laughs> great. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you.